Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, grab your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. We got some work to do today. Um, We're going to talk about work of art. Um, I'm going to answer an age-old question that all of you or most of you have asked. Got to go back here. Uh, which is, the question, of course, is why are surfboards made? So we'll answer that today. I know many of you were concerned um, with that because, like many philosophical questions, like the meaning of life, is why are surfboards made? So we'll answer that question. We'll talk about works of art, and then we'll talk about good works. You guys with me? All right, 1115, don't don't hold back. Oh, offering again. How do I keep forgetting? It's the one thing bread needs more than anything. All right, pass the buckets. Pass the buckets. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't hold back. The buckets are coming. White buckets are coming. Um, give as much as you can to bread. And if you write a check, check to the garden, just put bread in the memo line. Otherwise, go on their website, give generously to them, um, and, and provide for their needs. Uh, yep. Okay. And so while, while you guys do that, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read something we've gone over. This is part two of a two-part sermon I did a couple weeks ago. Told you I'd come back and finish it. So we're going we're gonna to talk about verse 10. But for now, I'm going to summarize the first nine verses I've already preached through. So if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, Just a really light message today. Let me just summarize what Paul's saying. We talked about this. Paul essentially is uh, assessing kind of the human condition that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He's basically saying we are trapped. He uses this language. Before Christ, we were dead. We're trapped, we're enslaved to our sinful way of life, our cravings and desires. We, we deserved, uh, and we were being influenced, not just by our own cravings, but by the ways of the world. So culture, the environment, our relationships, there are other forces that are at work influencing our sinful way. And outside of that, there are, there are powers and principalities, the kingdom of the air, a spirit at work. So there's greater spiritual forces opposing culture, government systems that are opposing individuals in our own lives. This is what Paul's saying. Not only that, but we deserve wrath as a result of our way of existence. That we were designed as humans to live in perfect relationship with with God, perfect loving relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other, and all of creation. And that was distorted by sin, which is being influenced by the world, which is being influenced by a spirit of, of disobedience or at work in those that are disobedient. Does that make sense? And as a result, we deserve God's justice and wrath. But then we get to verse four. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So Paul says, you deserve the seat of judgment, but Christ gets out of his heavenly chair of rulership, takes our place in the judgment, and, uh, and, and through that, because of what Christ did on the, tr- uh, on the cross, 
we are now forgiven and released and we are saved. We, are, we enter into salvation, healing, deliverance because of the work of Christ. This idea is called grace. There's nothing you can do to earn favor or merit to, to deserve that place with God. He does it for us once and for all. All we have to do is receive it like a gift. That's good news. Are we preaching? <clears throat> I already preached this sermon. So you're like, Darren, I know what, all of this already. I'm living my life in response. I'm, I'm not trying to earn anything with God. I get it. Okay, that was a little bit of sarcasm. And, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable rich, riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ. In a case you forgot, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And, and, and this is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God. Over and over again, what we say is what we deserved, we didn't get. God gave us what we didn't deserve. And it, that whole thing is called grace. All this life is a gift. He says it over and over again. You're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. It's called the gift from God, not by works so that you can boast. You, in case you forget, in case you want to earn, in case you want to climb a spiritual ladder to deserve a better position, he just does away with it and says it's all grace. All is grace. Not by works so that no one can boast. And then he goes on. And this is what we're going to talk about today. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So verse 10, we are God's handiwork, created for good works. So we're going to look at these two ideas, that we are God's handiwork, and we are created for good works. So this word, <coughs> handiwork, is poema. Can you say poema? It's where we get the word poem or poetry poetic and it refers to who we are in Christ as a new creation something that God is doing in us as we are in Christ but the word poema is connected to a Hebrew word so I want to I want to pull us back to understand poem I want to kind of contrast this Hebrew word that it shares its roots in the beginning of scripture so if you have a Bible go to Genesis 1 I want to I want to just define this because words are so important for us and we need to understand context and words because if we understand poema if we get what God's doing in 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 Ephesians 2:10 what we'll understand is uh, 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 some serious implications, not just for the first century and uh, 2,000 years ago, but also for today. So it has radical implications. So Genesis 1, let's start with the first verse of the Bible. It says this, uh, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So connected to poema is this Hebrew word that's found in the very first verse of the Bible. Created is bara. Say bara. Now, the definition of bara is unique. It's a word that describes only what God can create. It's not what humans can produce. It's only what God can create. And bara, the meaning behind it is the explosive, majestic, raw, creative power and energy. And the definition is to form by cutting or to cut or carve out. So the image of bara, God creating, is God cutting away the pieces to create this powerful creation, the heavens and the earth. You with me? Bra, the cosmic energy that God uses to create by cutting away. It's this power, majestic, raw energy. So let's talk about surfboards for a moment. Okay, so that's, this is a surfboard. This is, you guys with me? Are we good? Okay, I'm going to get to why surfboards are created, but let's talk about how they're made. So this 
Exhibit A. This is a surfboard. Uh, it floats. It's, uh, it's got wax on this side. It's got plenty of dings on this side. And um, it's got a single fan. Uh, it's about 7.6, I think, is what this is. It, this, this board is, yep, 7.6, 22 inches, and an eighth of an inch wide. So it, its measurements are specific. Every measurement in a board is designed specifically for a body type or size and weight, as well as a specific wave. So this is the board, but this is not how it starts. And I believe that the process of making surfboards is a real artisan craft. It is a beautiful thing because surfboards are works of art. So this is how, excuse me, a surfboard begins. Now from there, you probably can't tell, um, this is what a surfboard begins to look like. And you can't really see quite yet, I'll lift it up, but this is a piece of foam. Okay, and usually it comes in like a, a rectangle block. Um, but let me just show you. It's really fragile, and this would not surf. This would be waterlogged. And uh, if you touch it, my fingers will create, like, if I put too much pressure right now, it will be indented. Um, so you got to be really gentle with this. And this is how a surfboard begins. And what happens is a shaper will come based on the dimensions of the size that he's going to shape based on the board he wants to create. And he will, he will begin to cut out the shape that he desires. So this has already been pre-cut. But from here, um, it will be sanded down, which it's been a little bit sanded so far. Then there will be cloths of fabric that are, um, uh, what kind of fabric are they? They are fiberglass fabrics. That's right. We have surfers in the house. Thank God. Last service, we didn't have any surfers. They have no idea what I was talking about. Fiberglass and then layers of resin go on top and then they sand it down and they smooth it out and then they do another few layers of fiberglass cloth cloth, and then they do another few layers of resin and they let it dry and the process is meticulous. The process is specific and you can just imagine a shaper just shaping this and using tools to cut this out. So the, the raw energy to cut, to create Barah, only what God can create. The, the raw, majestic power to create the cosmos. It's powerful, it's big. Genesis 1, verse 1, created, barah, connected to poema. But then Genesis 1, verse 26, we get another snapshot of barah. Verse 1, 26, it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So look at what it says. So God barah, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he barah them, created them. Male and female, he created them three times. The word barah. So now barah has this implication, only what God can do. God using this majestic raw power to create and imprint his image in humanity. Cosmos, the power to create cosmos, but also imprinting his image and identity, his, um, his image and likeness in humanity. There's this, there's this, there's this all sorts of implications for that, that in Genesis 1.26, what you see is humanity carrying the image of God requires responsibility. The, the very essence of being human as an identity requires a task associated for the sake of, of stewarding all creation on God's behalf. This is the commission in Genesis 1, to rule, subdue, to rule and subdue, to, to take care of creation on behalf of, 
of God. God commissions humanity to be created in its image is to carry the responsibility and weight to reflect back into creation what God is reflecting in our own lives. So one way to think about it is a mirror. We are a mirror reflecting God's image as his image, God's life into creation, sustaining shalom wherever we go. But does that happen? No. Sin, this is what Ephesians 2 talks about. Sin enters into the world. We are no longer uh, in our broken selves reflecting God's image back into creation, his life. Instead, what do we do? We reflect our own broken image back in creation. And as we do that, more death and destruction and despair is circled back into time. But what does God want to do? He wants to restore us to reflect his life back into the world so that shalom may be sustained and continued through his image bearers. Are you with me? Are we preaching? Okay, good. Barah, 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 created. So that's, that's the understanding of where we get this word. And this word is only what God can create. It's power, it's majestic. It has to do with creating the cosmos and imprinting God's uh, human life with his image and identity. And so go back to Ephesians chapter two. With that in the background, we, we get this word poema and, and there's a little bit of um, unique kind of uh, subversive, subtle transition for the word. Because Barah is only what God can do. And then it says, um, he says, uh, verse 10, for we are God's poema. We are God's handiwork, his work of art, his masterpiece. And the word poema um, has a subtle, more of a fine sculpting, artistic nuance to it. It's not just this raw, just to cut and shape. And it's not to, to form by cutting. It's like, I said this, and this is just terrible, but this is the image I have. It's like the scene in Ghost where they're, the pottery scene, right? Like there's a scene of like this, not that scene, but the, there's lots of scenes. I didn't mean that one. I saw you're shaking your head. I'm like, I didn't mean that one. But just the delicate nature of sculpting. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Um, but think of creating pottery. Like the more you go in, the more it can flop over. It's a sensitive, fine art. Stop doing it. Did I lose you? Really? I don't go there. I, I'm talking about art. So fine sculpting. I should probably stop doing that. Fine sculpting. Works of art. So there's, it's a delicate process. It's a delicate nuance. It's, it's, uh, it's a poema um, is the fine sculpting, artistic, creative expression, handcrafted. God's fashioning you into art. And it's used for the creation of the world. And now in Ephesians 2, it's used for the redeemed humanity. That this is the word to describe the redeemed humanity in Christ. Before Christ, you were once dead. But now in Christ, you are alive and you're being crafted and shaped and perfected and sculpted into a work of art. Is that good news? Think about your life right now, that your life in Christ, as you live your life out in Christ, Christ is shaping you into a piece of artwork, a work of art, beautiful process. Like a board, and if you've ever seen a surfboard that's made, it starts off, through this process, and then over time, it gets to here. When you get your, your surfboard, what's amazing is it, it really is a work of art at first. This has been dinged up and bruised and battered and, and waxed over and all sorts of stuff, but when you first get your first surfboard or when you first get a brand new board that's been designed for you in your size, your shape, the board you want, the last thing you want to do is go surf on it, right? <laughs> what you want to do is put it up 
on a wall because it's a piece of art. It's a work of art. It's beautiful. So <clears throat> what you have is this idea uh, that you are becoming a work of art in Christ, that Christ is working in you to perfect you as God's poem, as God's masterpiece. And I want you to just think for a second about the implications real quick. 2,000 years ago, if you remember, we've talked about some of the cultural context that we find this letter written to in Ephesus um, at the turn of the century. 2,000 years ago, Ephesus was the center for Hellenistic culture. It wasn't the center. It was influenced by Hellenistic culture, which believed that human achievement and beauty were of all things to be pursued after. That was the ideal. And anything outside of human perfection and beauty and achievement was discarded and placed to the margins. So we have uh, an epic slave trade movement in uh, 2,000 years ago in Ephesus because uh, the modern philosophy of the time was teaching men and women that you wanted to discard any babies that were not perfect. Any blemish, if they were female, take them outside of the city walls, put them on the mountain, and you had the legal right to leave them to die of exposure as infants. And then slave trade movement comes and picks up the discarded babies and raises them up to be slaves. And all the while, men and women throughout Ephesus believed that the ideal was to be worshipped, that they created gods in the image of mankind. Their bodies were perfected and sculpted and put on display all over the place like Starbucks today or 7-Eleven. And you have these men and women believing that their blemishes, their orphan, being orphaned was a curse from God for their imperfections. Somehow they failed in life to measure up to the ideal because in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, something we can't relate to, your identity and value came from how much money you had, how beautiful you were, the people that you know, how popular you were, and your ability to achieve and succeed in life. Obviously, it's ancient. So we're just talking about 2,000 years ago. But what about the implications? Paul speaking to a group, a house church of ex-slaves or current slaves and masters and and men and women and Gentiles and Jews and, and of, of massively diverse with hostile views about what matters in life, about what's valuable, what's most important. And he's, and he's talking about the fundamental identity of what it looks like to be a Christian. And he uses a word, work of art. You're perfected. You've been chosen by God. You've been adopted into sonship. You are a holy person. You're a saint in Christ. And now he says you're a work of art. That in a society that says your value and worth comes from what you can do, how much you can make, who you know, if you're popular or not, how many likes you have on Facebook, whatever it is, he says that's not what's most important. In a culture that idolizes those things, our God makes art out of people. In First century Ephesus, people made gods into art. It's the other way around. The Christian God is a God who takes the slums, the broken, the discarded, the despaired, and says, I can work with that. Masterpiece. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a masterpiece. And if you're sitting next to your spouse, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a masterpiece. Mm. Why is it so hard to believe it? Why is it so hard to believe it? Why is it so hard to believe it? When, when I trust Jesus, I become a new self. 
Scripture teaches that when you trust Jesus, something in the very fabric of your being changes and your identity is no longer seen as a sinner, fallen short. God sees you as you were intended to be in Christ, perfected into a work of art, designed to partner with him in the renewal of all things. And I think it's hard to, to believe this because our identity is the hardest thing to receive in what God calls grace. We might get to the place where, okay, God, I realize you died for me. But for him to say, no, now you are a work of art. For many of us, we look at our lives and we just think, actually, I'm damaged goods. I had an abortion. I got divorced. I've been homeless for too long. I've been, I'm an addict. I have a loveless marriage. I have too much of a temper. I'm too self-focused. I'm narcissistic. I'm prideful. I'm a glutton. And what's so amazing about poema is it's nothing that you can do. Poema is what God does in you. So he meets you in the addiction, in the recent aborted baby, in the recent divorce, in the alcoholism, in that drug addict. He meets you in there and says, I can work with this. Because you are a work of art. But the story doesn't end with you being put on a wall on display. It's the other way around, which brings me to my question, why are surfboards made? To surf on. Surfboards are made not to be put on a wall for display. They're designed to be surfed. Now think about this for a moment. Every single surfboard is designed for a specific height, weight, measurement, wave. You are being crafted and formed into a work of art for the purpose of good works, prepared for in advance by God. You have a particular set of skills. Human rights lawyer, here we go, who says there is a need in our community and society that needs to be addressed. I have an education and a passion to help inform. Let us bring those two together and do good works. Amen. Music, art, science, teaching, engineering, graphic design, preaching. God has been shaping you to be used for good works. Not to be hung up on a wall to put on display in your house, but actually to have wax on, to get some dings, to absorb the pain of other people, to be taken advantage of because you keep giving. That's what good works is about. The first time I got my surfboard, it was like a piece of glass. I didn't even want to touch it as I'm on the wave. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get off. <laughs> and for those of you that surf, you know what I When you get your first ding, your like, heart is broken. It's when, a, when you get a ding, it's like something hits it. Like you hit it on a rock or something, you get, it dings it. And your heart just breaks. But then you get a few and you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You don't even use a leash anymore. You're like, let it go into the rocks. It's fine. <laughs> let it go. It's true. It's a social experiment, I promise. Surf without a leash or with one, depending on the board, you'll see if it owns you or not. <clears throat> so, good works, this phrase, uh, it's, it's amazing because Paul writes in Greek, but he thinks in Hebrew. And it, it's good works, this phrase in Hebrew is connected to what it means to live as a good Jewish boy or girl. It's, it's the essence in one phrase. This, the Hebrew word is mitzvot. Mitzvot. Say mitzvot. Now, this is what's amazing. 
The word is commandment, okay? So there are 613 mitzvahs in the Old Testament, but the, the word was later used all over the Old Testament for the idea behind how you fulfill all of the commandments of the Old Testament. You did this in your everyday ordinary life with regular opportunities to fulfill the commandments through daily mitzvahs. Commandments, which also means good deeds. So Paul, understanding the Jewish framework that in your everyday ordinary life, this is the Old Testament summarized, that there are these commandments in which you are to live your life. God has given Israel as a light into the world to show what God is like for everyone else. And it's all sorts of laws and regulations, but there are all sorts of provisional laws and regulations to care for the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the immigrant among you. This, how do you do that? Not just by strategic emails. You do this in your everyday ordinary life to provide random acts of kindness and goodness for the world. Mitzvot is a way of fulfilling the entire commands in the Old Testament. It's how you lived as a good Jewish boy or girl. Paul takes this idea and applies it to the church. So you see it all over the place. You are crafted and shaped to be a work of art for the sake of good deeds in the world. It's almost like Paul's going back to Genesis 1. To be human is to reflect God's life back into the world the way it was intended to be. To be the new humanity is to be fashioned and formed in Christ, unique in your own makeup. God uses you to reflect back into the world through your everyday, ordinary life. Good works that point to God. You just become a mirror. Are you with me? Ephesians 2, one verse. How powerful is this? There are all sorts of passages that, that talk about Christian activity. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is a powerful one. It's contagious. When your brother or sister is generous, it inspires generosity. We should be encouraging each other, spurring each other on in good deeds. Regularly in community, in our home churches, in our community groups, in our everyday ordinary everyday ordinary life let us not get stuck in our words let us live with our life go to the next one what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them james makes it clear faith without works is dead and it's this idea we aren't saved uh, through works we're saved for works we're saved for service we can't, Paul makes it so clear. If you think by doing greater deeds and works will earn you a greater spot in heaven or more favor than you have now, you're wrong. You can't be more loved by God than you already are. No matter how great you live your life in, like Jesus or how bad, he loves you the same. Now in view of that, in view of your identity, live the way you already are. Become who you, it's, it's becoming who you already are. Remember this is framed the whole series through that I am a husband. I don't do all these good acts for my wife to become a husband. I am, so I live out of that identity. This is the same thing. Go to the next one. The king will say, this is one of my favorite passages. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's, it's about activity. It's not just about knowing the right things, although that's so important. It's, about, it's not just about having a great conversation about God or about the church. It's your tone of voice and how you have the conversation. You can disagree with somebody about important things, but are you doing it in love? Or are you doing it with entitlement? 
Do you lay it down and say, hey, let's, let's get some bread together? I had this the other day. I had a person come from our church asking me theology. We met for, uh, for coffee, but instead they brought food and they have a different opinion than me. And they said, hey, can we just have a meal as we discuss? I thought, yeah. We started with communion. And then it doesn't matter because we're on the same page. But brothers and sisters, we actually start with our words. We need to start with our lives. All right, I'm gonna keep preaching. Next verse. Life, uh, oh, okay. All right, before I read this, keep it up here. A little context. One of the most powerful verses for me, for the context. Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Pagans, people that don't believe in God. One particular activity that was going on was by uh, a nickname Antichrist. His name was Nero. Nero was given the name Antichrist in the, in the first century by the Christians for lots of reasons. One was he persecuted the Christians for lots of things. One being a great fire in Rome. He blamed the Christians. Um, he hated them. He found them as a scapegoat. But what he would do is he would have these garden parties as the Roman emperor. He was the Roman emperor during a, a short period of time in Rome. Um, and he would take Christians, strap them to poles, and burn them alive to light up his dinner parties. He was a horrible person. He would dress up in beast clothing and bite Christians that were locked in cages. That's why he got a nickname, the beast, by the way. So all that context helped frame some of the revelation stuff that's going on. Interesting, right? Fascinating. But look at what Peter does to the church. That's just a little curveball for some of you. Context matters. Here's a little curveball. Peter is writing to a group of people who are going to be murdered. And he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your mitzvah, good deeds, and glorify God on the day he visits. Even as you're being persecuted and lit on fire, let your life be a demonstration, a light to the world in the way you, you live your life and die. Is that amazing? Do we have a long way to go? Yes. We have a long way to go. So brothers and sisters, first thing I want to invite you to do is be you because you are a work of art. In Christ, he is crafting you, shaping you, forming you to be who you were intended to be in the first place. The second is be useful. So two things, be you and be useful. Holiness is usefulness. God wants to empower a generation to be holy in his sight, to show the world how to really live. Be useful in kind and generous acts of good deeds. Uh, that, that, there are a million ways in this room, hundreds of millions of ways we can do this every single day. You've been shaped to, to be used to surf. So why, do surfboard, why are surfboards made to surf? Why are you a work of art for the sake of the world? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.